Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Episode 22, Church Growth. Within six months after being formed, the University District Christian Science Society had outgrown their first meeting place at University Masonic Hall. They needed to find a larger space nearby. They continued to rent the Masonic Banquet Hall for their business meetings, but by May 1915, they were holding Sunday services and Wednesday meetings, apparently in the bank lobby at the newly built University Bank building at the corner of 45th Street and University Way. This intersection was a new commercial center, a highly visible and convenient corner in the heart of the U-District. It was at the end of an electric trolley line heading northeast from downtown Seattle. Nearby intersecting rail lines ran east and west. Some of the largest buildings in the city outside the downtown core had recently been built there as apartments for students and faculty. The University District was part of a grand civic vision for promoting and developing Seattle into a prominent American city, the commercial capital of the Pacific Northwest, a world trade center with a focus on Asia and the Pacific Rim. The spirit of Seattle's ambition was symbolized downtown by the Smith Tower, which opened on July 4, 1914 a symbol of the information technology innovation that the Smith Corona typewriter represented. The Smith Tower, besides being Seattle's first skyscraper, with an astounding 35 stories, was the tallest building in Western America. In the University District, Seattle's ambitions were expressed in the 1909 Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition, the World's Fair that had drawn four million visitors. Because of the AYP Expo, the forested acreage owned by the University of Washington was transformed into a park-like campus of Olmsted design, oriented for spectacular views of Mount Rainier. After the fair, many of the large, elegant pavilions designed by leading architects were used for college classes. Near the west entrance of the campus, a commercial area was developed with hotels, transportation infrastructure, paved streets, and sidewalks. Beyond the commercial area, forests and farms were being developed into commercial districts and residential neighborhoods. Seattle was transforming into a bustling city with elegant architecture, and the University District was one of the most actively developing areas. This Christian Science Church was intentionally planted in the heart of the University District. It would grow along with the district. That summer, on Friday, July 9, 1915, the Society held a Christian Science Lecture at the Bank Building, with financial and logistical support from the other branches. They invited Bicknell Young, an especially talented and popular lecturer, 
Young had given Christian science lectures all over the United States since 1903. He had lectured all over Europe, including England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Germany, France, Italy, the Netherlands, and Holland, as well as Mexico and Australia. After living in London for nearly four years, Young moved back to Chicago, where he was able to respond more easily to requests for lectures throughout the United States. On previous trips to Seattle, he had given lectures at the city's largest venues, the Moore Theater, the Grand Opera House, Dreamland Rink, and the Hippodrome. He was certainly capable of filling the comparatively small University Bank building, which could seat up to 950 people. Young was an especially good lecturer for the university community because of his scholarly manner that set him apart from the provocative style of the recent revivalist series. As one reviewer put it, Mr. Young indulges neither fervor of language nor flights of oratory, nor does he appeal to the emotional side of human nature. His lecture is scholarly, logical, clear, and convincing. His arguments were within the grasp of even the simple child, yet he sounded the depths of philosophic and scientific research. Another newspaper reporter concluded, If all the doctrinarians would present their case in the spirit which characterizes the lecture of Mr. Young, there would be some rational thinking that would do the world a lot of good, whether it establishes permanently the Christian science thought or not. In these days of rant and fury, it is certainly refreshing to be able to listen to a scholar who treats his subject rationally and his hearers as if they possessed a fair supply of good sense and understanding. Whenever Young's lectures were printed in full in local newspapers, those issues would sell out. The Christian Science Publishing Society sold reprints of his lectures as pamphlets in English, French, German, Swedish, and Norwegian. Besides the appealing content of his lectures, Young had the confident stage presence of an experienced performer. He was described as a man of striking personal appearance who had a rich, musical voice. Prior to going into the full-time practice of Christian science, Young was a well-known baritone singer. People in Seattle might have been to his performance of Handel's Messiah in Tacoma in 1897. But even with his scholarship and stage presence, Young presented himself with a sense of holy dignity, appropriate for his religious topic. As one report put it, One might have thought it was an Orthodox Presbyterian that was lecturing, as he dealt with the gospel story, with prayer, and the love of God, albeit he was in frock coat instead of clerical garb. His ministerial quality was perhaps a family characteristic. Bicknell Young's full name was Brigham Bicknell Young. He was raised a Mormon. He was named after his famous uncle, Brigham Young, 
who had served for 30 years as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake City, Utah. Bicknell's father, Joseph, was also a high-ranking church official, and as was typical for early Mormon officials, he practiced polygamy. Bicknell's mother, Jane Bicknell Young, was his father's first wife of seven. She had been part of the Mormon community from its beginnings in upstate New York. She was along for all the western moves by wagon train to Ohio, then Missouri, then Illinois, until the Mormons finally established themselves in the western desert of Utah, where they were safe from religious persecution. Bicknell, the youngest of his mother's eleven children, was born in Salt Lake City in 1856 during the first decade of Utah settlement. As he was growing up, Salt Lake City was growing into a major city. As a young adult, having exhausted the musical training options in Utah, Bicknell studied in London at the Royal College of Music. After graduating, he married one of his teachers, Eliza Musicato, an Italian who was ten years his senior. Young had been baptized into the Mormon Church and was active in the religion as a youth, but during his time in London, he stopped identifying as a Mormon. His marriage to Musicato, whose background was almost certainly Catholic, may have been a factor, but according to one source, he had already become agnostic. Bicknell maintained friendly ties with his Mormon friends and family in Utah, and for several years he and his wife lived in Salt Lake City. But by 1890, they left Mormon country for Chicago. The Youngs moved to Chicago to advance their musical careers, but this was when Bicknell's new career in Christian science began. Chicago became a stronghold of Christian science after Mary Baker Eddy's visit there in 1884. Bicknell Young became seriously ill, and he was healed by a Christian science practitioner. Both he and Eliza became Christian scientists. Bicknell's conversion to Christian science had a big impact on his family. His brother Seymour, a medical doctor by profession, stayed with the Mormon Church and, following his father's path, became a high-ranking polygamous Mormon church officer. But his mother and six sisters all left the Mormon church for Christian science. At the 1897 dedication service for First Church of Christ Scientist Chicago, when Edward Kimball was first reader, Bicknell sang a solo composed by Eliza for the occasion. At that dedication, at which the overflowing audience filled even the standing room and entrances at all four dedication services, he was among the first to hear Reverend Eddy's longest and perhaps most significant branch church dedicatory address. The address included a statement about the potential to halt or even reverse the aging process a message that proved to be quite provocative and even controversial. Eddie wrote, If wisdom lengthens my sum of years to fourscore already imputed to me, I shall then be even younger and nearer the eternal meridian than now. For the true knowledge and proof of life 
is in putting off the limitations and putting on the possibilities and permanence of life. Eddie revisited her challenging statement about aging in an address for the Christian Science Church in her hometown, Concord, New Hampshire, at which, when they later dedicated their new church edifice, Bicknell Young was given the privilege of reading Eddie's address at the dedication services. Following the Chicago statement, the Concord audience heard, The statement in my letter to the church in Chicago, in substance as follows, has been quoted and criticized. If wisdom lengthens my sum of years to fourscore, I may then be even younger than now. Few believe this saying. Few believe that Christian science contains infinitely more than has been demonstrated, or that the altitude of its highest propositions have not yet been reached. Eddie taught that an understanding of Christian science, even in small degree, would increase longevity. It was a message that Mr. Young took to heart. As a Christian science teacher, he challenged his students to rethink aging. He would tell them, There is no more age than there is death. Age is one of the most persistent diseases in human belief. Are you going to take part in it? Or are you going to take part in the demonstration over it? It is not a question of years. Years haven't a thing to do with it. It is not in years or of years. Eternity is all there is, just the everlasting now. There is no time at all. Young's mother took Christian science class instruction from him, and it seems she put the teaching into practice effectively, as she was noted for her extraordinarily long life. Jane and four of Bicknell's sisters, two of whom became Christian science practitioners, moved to Tacoma, Washington. When Jane Bicknell Young died in 1913, she was believed to be the oldest woman in Washington state. She was known to be both a widow of a leading figure in Mormon history and a pillar of the Christian Science Church for 30 years, one of the first women of prominence to enroll as an adherent of Mary Baker G. Eddy and the mother of Bicknell Young. A Seattle Times article on her life accomplishments focused on her remarkable vitality. Aside from a slight deafness, she suffered none of the ailments of old age. Until a few weeks ago, she was as active physically and mentally as a woman of 60 years and went about the city unattended, visiting relatives and returning social calls. On these occasions, she resorted to the use of a streetcar no oftener than those only half her age. Highly educated and cultured, she retained a keen interest in the affairs of the world to the last, and at 98, her conversation sparkled with brilliancy. Her memory was unusually retentive to the last, and her fund of personal anecdotes covered a period of more than 80 years. 
So when Bicknell Young lectured in the university district on top of his other credentials, he was perhaps noted as Mrs. Jane Young's son. But even beyond all his aforementioned strengths as a lecturer, one more is worth special mention, and that is the inspiration that audiences felt. When he read Eddie's dedicatory address at Concord, it was so finely read. His musical voice, so perfectly modulated, and his faultless enunciation. And he had such an ability to speak Mary Baker Eddy's words as though they were his own. It was reported that many in the overflow congregation were moved to tears and received a strong spiritual uplift. This spiritual uplift was an effect that audience members felt during his lectures, too, even resulting in physical healing, as one person testified in the Christian Science Sentinel. While listening to Mr. Bicknell Young's lecture on Christian Science, my foot hurt me so that I could hardly keep still. But from that evening it was healed. The corn disappeared, and my foot became normal in size. At the Friday evening lecture on July 9th in the University District, the hall was packed. It gave another boost to the vitality of the newest of the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church that would one day celebrate its centennial. The rented space at the University Bank building in the heart of the growing district continued to meet their need for a church home after the lecture. But as member Eileen Gormley later explained, the members knew there were still more progressive steps to take. They already had a building fund. In January 1915, only a few months after they held their first church services, they started setting aside the collection from the first Sunday each month with the goal of someday having a church building of their own. Soon, they would be ready to start, thanks in part to the church growth they experienced from the lecture. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.